And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Happy Monday, everyone. I hope you're starting the week with the same confidence that Tim Anderson has on the baseball field right now. This is the Athletic Baseball Show presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. The Monday edition of the show is, of course, Ken Rosenthal's mailbag. I'm Tim McMaster, serving up the questions for Ken. Ken, how's it going? It's going well, Tim. How are you? I am good. And, you know, I mentioned Tim Anderson Uh, You were on the broadcast for White Sox and Indians on Saturday. Anderson going oppo for a grand slam off Tristan McKenzie. Then saying after the game, when I step on the field, I know I'm the best. He's certainly one of the most entertaining. He definitely is. And he's also one of the players with the fastest hands in the game. And watching him play, actually both offensively and defensively, is a joy. He made several fine defensive plays in that game. And Tim Anderson has become, maybe not at the level of the elite, elite shortstops, but certainly in the conversation for one of the most entertaining electric players in the game. And in that game, that was the first ball in play, although it didn't go in play, it didn't involve a fielder, in the entire game. It had been all strikeouts and walks until then. And he had not hit a home run that was anything more than a solo in quite some time. So it was a big relief to him. Now, he is a free swinger. And it's funny, earlier in the week, there was a game where he had two walks. And I was talking with the White Sox hitting coach, Frank Minichino. And Minichino said, when that happened, when the second walk happened, the entire White Sox dugout erupted as if he had hit a grand slam because it's that rare an occurrence. So Tim Anderson, fun to watch, fun player on a really good team. You mentioned all the walks and strikeouts, then the home run. That pretty much sums up baseball in 2021, right? It um, does, yes. The uh, so a couple big stories that weren't covered in the mailbag. So I did, you know, want to talk about them a little bit. One is how about the Brewers? Uh, they got beat up by the Dodgers on Sunday, but they take three of four in the series, the best record in the National League right now. And what's amazing about it, Tim, is that they have seventeen. Count them. 17 players on the injured list. 13 in the past 23 days have gone on the IL. The group includes, of course, Christian Yelich, Lorenzo Cain, both of whom are close to coming back. Corbin Burns, one of the best pitchers in baseball this year. Both starting catchers. And the game Saturday night that they won in the 11th inning, just a wild affair. And it was so Brewers-like. It was so stirring to see Mario Feliciano, a catcher they had called up, because, of course, both their catchers were hurt, playing in his fourth game above A ball. Think about that. Three games in double A. He's in hit the major leagues. He plays in his fourth game. He enters the game, draws a walk in his first major league plate appearance in the 11th inning, then scores the winning run. So he goes back to the minors today because they trade for a catcher that they had DFA'd 11 days earlier, Jacob Nottingham. But Feliciano 
1,000 OBP for his career, one at bat, or one plate appearance, I should say. This guy was a second-round pick in the 2016 draft, graduated from the Carlos Beltran Baseball Academy in Puerto Rico, and he kind of symbolized to me what the Brewers have been about this season and really what they're about almost every season. We look at this team at the start of the year, at least I did, and I say, eh, not this year. I say it every year. They just don't have the talent. They're not good enough. They're not deep enough. They have problems here, 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 and yet... Craig Council and his staff get the most out of what they have every single year in the last three or four. And really, people ask all the time, do you have a favorite team? No, I don't have a favorite team. It's my job. I cover all 30. But teams I enjoy covering, those are kind of my favorites in a way, right? The Brewers are certainly that. What they've done this season without their best players, frankly, has been utterly amazing. And I know the Dodgers are depleted too, but... They won three of the first four games of this series, and it was just something else to see. So they're the story of the week for me, just what they've done and how they've persevered through an incredible wave of injuries. Think about it. 17 guys on the IL, that's almost half of a 40-man roster. It's about two-thirds of a 26-man roster. Hard to win when you're losing that many players. You expect big budget teams that can afford a deeper roster to survive things like that, not the Milwaukee Brewers. It's very impressive. Uh, the, the other story that won't go away in baseball early on uh, and was added again this week is replay umpires in general. Uh, one play I'll bring up specifically, Ken, was Mets and Phillies. Uh, ground ball the second, well, ground ball the Francisco Lindor to the right of second base. Uh, he runs towards Andrew McCutcheon, can't get there, throws to first. McCutcheon ruled out of the base path. And then the play at first was ruled safe. They go to replay. They overrule the play at first correctly and name him out. But you can't replay running out of the base path. McCutcheon clearly ran a straight line from first to second, was ruled out. It's just another example of um, some of the things that would be overturned but can't even be because you just can't do it. Right, Tim. And we've seen a number of plays this season where you would say, I cannot believe it was called that way. Well, we shouldn't see them seemingly every few days, and yet it keeps happening. Replay is, of course, part of the problem. And I wrote a story a couple of weeks ago that Jason Stark helped me with because Jason is actually an expert on replay since its inception. And what I came up with was five ways to improve the system. And one of them was to make more calls reviewable. That call last night on the McCutcheon play, it's not reviewable because it's a judgment call. It should be reviewable. It's so ridiculous, it should be reviewable. The idea behind replay is to get it right. And too often, we're not getting it right. Now, I don't wanna impugn the entire umpiring professional or even the replay system. By and large, the umpires do a great job. And by and large, the replay system works and quite effectively. I can give you all kinds of numbers to show that. But these plays that occur that are obviously not called correctly, they stand out and they make people nuts. So in that column, I had some other suggestions as well, some of which I liked, some of which I didn't. But these are things under discussion. One was ignore the call on field and just let the replay command center in New York call it on what they see. It's hard to do to ignore the call on the field, but it speaks to an issue that a lot of people have with the system. And that is that the umpires at the command center, the guys who are working that shift, the perception is among a lot of people that they don't want to overrule their brethren. And that was another suggestion I had, replace the 
at the command center with independent experts. Now, I don't know if either of those things is going to happen. Ignoring the on-field call is really difficult. Replacing the umps at the command center with independent experts, that's more achievable. That could be certainly something implemented, but it would cause a problem with the umpires union for one thing. But perhaps more important, the umpires have the best understanding of the rules. They understand all the nuances, all the different crazy things that can happen. And if you bring in people who are experts on video and baseball fans or experts of some kind, they might not know those nuances. So that's the flaw in that, but you can make an excuse or a reason for anything you try to introduce. When you have this many calls and we're only one month into the season, this many missed calls, you're going to invite questions. And right now, a lot of fans and a lot of people with clubs on field and off have a lot of questions about what's going on with replay and umpiring in general. Some of the more well-recognized uh, mistakes, or not mistakes, but unreplayable type things that went the other way have hurt the Phillies and somehow have helped the Mets. You think of the Conforto uh, hit by pitch that couldn't be reviewed, and it's just funny how it's kind of played out. You would think it evens out in the long run. All right, let's move on to the mailbag. Hey, this is Ken. I'm not available right now. Please leave a voicemail. If you want to get involved in the mailbag next week, you can get your voice on the show. Call the mailbag. Go 646-543-7072. Or you can email the show. That's tabaseballshow at gmail.com. And we're going to start, Ken, with an email. And it relates to the Dodgers, although Sunday's game kind of throws a, a wrench in this question a little bit. But Scott in San Diego says, did Mookie Betts not take enough time off after getting hit in the forearm? Is Corey Seager applying too much pressure on himself because of his impending free agency? Does Max Muncy take too many pitches? Did the Dodgers simply miss Cody Bellinger that much? What gives? Scott, all due respect, you sound like a fan of the panic. <laughs> and I understand the Dodgers entering today had lost 10 of 13. They were averaging just 3.4 runs per game. They were not playing particularly well. And for the season, they were ninth in the major leagues in runs per game, which is not where they've been the last few years. They've been right at the top. Now, Muncie taking too many pitches. I'll address each of your questions individually, Scott. Boy, I have a hard time criticizing Muncie when he comes into the game today with the 11th highest on-base percentage in baseball, 422. Guy gets on base he produces, he is not the problem. Corey Seager, yes, he was in a slump entering today, 8 for 40, only one home run during that time. Still has an 800 OPS for the year going into the game. To me, he's not the problem either. Guys are going to go through ups and downs. It's a long season. Have we forgotten? They play 162, six months. It takes a long time. Things are good, things are bad. It all kind of evens out at the end. And Mookie, well, yes, Mookie had struggled somewhat, but last few games entering today, 5 for 13, hit his first home run since April 13th last night. He's okay. The guy who had not been doing so well, actually two of them, Pollock and Lux. Pollock today went nuts. Matt Beatty went nuts as well. We're speaking on Sunday, of course. So in the end, the Dodgers are going to be fine offensively. They do miss Bellinger. Of course they do. But at the same time, there are going to be ebbs and flows during the season, even for the best teams. If the Dodgers win 110, they're going to lose 52. Simple as that. So I wouldn't be too worried about them. 
it's a different situation than perhaps some other teams with offensive challenges are facing. But even if you look at the Mets, okay, there's a team that's been struggling offensively too. Finally starting to come out of it. They're going to be okay as well. Track records generally speak for themselves. Two grand slams in the first two innings for the Dodgers on Sunday. All right, so a little bit of panic in Southern California. One place, Ken, there's no panic right now is in Missouri, where the Royals are going crazy early in the season. That's our first voicemail. Hey, Ken, this is Joel from Omaha, Nebraska. I just want to ask, why are the Kansas City Royals not getting any love? They have the best record in baseball as of the day I'm calling. On the last show, you mentioned how things are going to even out with Cleveland and Chicago and Minnesota eventually going to be coming around. Okay, I'll admit the Royals haven't exactly played the toughest schedule, and those three teams are definitely due to turn things around. But can we at least give Dayton Moore and Mike Matheny some credit that the Royals are definitely ahead of schedule on their rebuild, and they're going to be seriously competing sooner rather than later? Love the show. Thanks. Joel, thank you. And I had a note in my most recent column about the Royals and about what they did in the offseason and what they have to look forward to. And I would say it was giving them their due. And I always am kind of amused when fans ask this kind of question. I'm not saying anything against you, Joel, at all. It's more the idea. If I were a fan and the national media, so-called national media, wasn't giving my team its due, I'd be one perfectly fine with that. And then I'd be perfectly fine when my team, for instance, like the Nationals in 2019, go on to win the World Series. And then guess what? The national media has to give you your due. So it's not about that. And what it's about is it's early in the season and fans, writers, people in the game want to see things shake out a little bit. But I will say this about the Royals, and this is what I wrote. What they did in the offseason, we talked about this. They brought in a good number of players, and that was kind of contrary to what a lot, a lot of rebuilding teams do, right? A lot of rebuilding teams just wait for their young guys and are content to sit back. But not only did the Royals make trades and sign free agents, the players they brought in, almost all of them had World Series experience. I'm thinking of Carlos Santana, Michael A. Taylor, the guys that they brought back from their own World Series teams, Greg Holland, Gerard Dyson, Wade Davis. Andrew Benintendi has played in the World Series. Mike Miner had not, but he's got postseason experience. So when I talked to Dayton more about this earlier in the week, he said, we've got a group of guys that knows how to win. And the idea is for them to spread that winning spirit, for lack of a better term, throughout the team. Now, the other thing about the Royals that I like going forward is they're not the team yet that they can be. They don't have Alderbrota Mondesi at shortstop yet. He's got the oblique. He's going to be out probably a couple more weeks. Nicky Lopez right now, one of the worst defensive shortstops in the majors. It's not his position. He's been playing second in the majors at least. And they'll improve defensively quite a bit once Mondesi comes back. Also, you guys know Bobby Witt Jr., he's coming at some point this year. He's going to start at AA, talking about one of the game's top prospects. He was electric in spring training. And I expect him to make an impact at the Major League level. And there's one other name to remember with the Royals. Left-handed pitcher, six foot six, Daniel Lynch. He might beat Witt to the Majors. He's a starting pitcher, and they're going to have to see where they are with their rotation. That's the one question I have with them, by the way. It's whether their rotation can be consistent enough. But I expect we'll see Lynch, we'll see Witt, we'll eventually see Mondesi again. This is going to be an interesting team in a division that is quite competitive, 
And right now, if you had to call it, you'd say the White Sox look like the best team, and Minnesota is certainly very good. But the Royals certainly appear to be a team that will be competitive for the entire season. Yeah, and they're fun. I lo- love the way the Royals play, too, with the speed and getting around, the way they play in that ballpark. It's just, uh, it was fun when they were good going to World Series, and it'll be good to have them back in, in those discussions. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, next question comes from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Hey, Ken, this is Jared from uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I'm really interested in new frontiers in the game of baseball, analytics, forward thinking, stuff like that. So Carter Stewart's story is really intriguing to me, seeing a guy go top ten and choose big money overseas in Japan. Can you talk a little about his story and how closely MLB scouts and front offices are keeping an eye on him now that he has made the big leagues of Japan? Thank you. Jared, I'm with you. Carter Stewart is a remarkable story. Now, fans might recall he went to the Braves with a number eight pick in the 2018 draft out of high school in Florida. The Braves tried to reduce his signing bonus when they came up with a wrist issue or found a wrist issue, I should say, in his physical. So instead of his slot value, which was about five million, they offered him two million. He said no. And then this was the surprising part. Rather than go into the 2019 draft, he signed with a Japanese team, the Fukuoka SoftBank Hawks, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, and he got about $6.2 million with them and with incentives that could increase the size of the deal to $11 million to $12 million at some point, and yet he's still over there, of course, because he's under contract, right? Now, he's a high school kid, so he's going to come slower, but he recently was promoted to the major league team. And he had a good start to the minor league season. So then he went to the major league team. He's with them now. And the question is, what happens when he becomes eligible to come back to North America as a free agent at age 25? It's going to be interesting. It's a couple of years away still. But this is a guy that I'm sure major league teams are tracking because they track all players overseas. And if you remember, Yusei Kikuchi also represented by Stewart's agent, Scott Boris. He got a four-year, $56 million deal from the Mariners entering his age 28 season in December 2018. Maybe Stewart gets that same kind of deal if he develops into the kind of pitcher that obviously he hopes to be. So he is a guy that I've written about recently, and I will continue to follow, as I'm sure a lot of fans and teams will, just because his story is so unusual. If he succeeds... It's conceivable. You could have other players, mostly high school players, I would think, that go to Japan, say for six years, 
and then come back as a free agent in the major leagues at a young age and hit the jackpot that way. It's an alternative path if a player is not happy with what has gone down in the draft. And with a reduced number of rounds, it's conceivable we could see this. It is a fascinating route because you figure a high school kid has this situation. He would just go with his college commitment and then two years later be able to go back into the draft. This way he got paid right away, but he has to wait longer. It's it's interesting. It'll be fun to see how that plays out. All right, back to email, Ken. And Seth in Virginia says, Matt Harvey has been a pleasant surprise this season. Three straight wins. I know he only had one strikeout on Saturday. What do you think has been the difference for him this season? It's a really good question, Seth, because... If you look at his expected numbers, expected batting average against, expected slugging average against, not great. And it seems like certainly his stuff is not what it once was. 2015, that average fastball is 96.6 miles per hour. Right now, it's down three and a half miles per hour. It's about 93.2. So, no, he does not have the Matt Harvey fastball. He no longer is the Dark Knight. We know all this. He had the Tommy John. He had the thoracic outlet surgery has not been the same pitcher since that second surgery in 2016. What he is, is a guy who is figuring out how to pitch with lesser stuff. And he actually, so far this season, has been one of my favorite stories. Because this guy's been through a really hard time. And remember, that thoracic outlet syndrome, when you have surgery for that, you rarely come back the same guy, and maybe you don't come back at all. And he's bounced around. He's gone from the Mets to the Reds to the Angels to the A's to the Royals, and now to the Orioles. Everything you hear about him is that he's a good teammate, a good influence on younger pitchers, which is not always what you heard about Mike Harvey. And he seems to be finding himself. Now, is he going to be a number one, two, or three, even for a bad team? I'm not sure. Those expected numbers, the diminished stuff, kind of make me wary of that. But... Can he be somebody that the Orioles perhaps flip at the deadline if he's pitching well? Sure. And to see the guy stick with it, I'm always impressed when guys do this. I know it's their career, but Matt Harvey had good reason to walk away. And he hung in there, and he is doing it with essentially the same mix. It's just not as sharp as it once was. Yeah, seems like a different guy, too, like in a more mature way as well. All right, next question is back to voicemail and Jason. Hi, this is Jason from Belton, Texas, and uh, I have a question about sign stealing. Sign stealing is one of the most ridiculous controversies in baseball today. I understand that pitchers and catchers need to agree on what pitch to throw without the batter knowing, but the use of hand signs seems incredibly antiquated today. That's why I found so confounding about the Astros scandal. This would be a solved issue if Major League Baseball and the Players Association would look into how technology could be used to facilitate communication between catcher and pitcher. I don't know what the specific solution would be, but there have been such great advances in sports technology that this could be an easily solved issue without having to resort to signs that clearly are not working. Jason, this is a good question. And if you watch the NFL and you see the quarterbacks with what they have going on inside their helmets, you would think, well, why can't that work in baseball? And actually, another Jason, the great Jason Stark, wrote about this very issue in March 2020, laid out a number of technological advances that could be used to basically eliminate hand signs. And what was interesting about the story, and I encourage you to go back and read it, it's in his archive at The Athletic, is that the pitchers, Max Scherzer was one, 
Clayton Kershaw is another. They don't want an earpiece. They don't want anything along those lines that would kind of change the whole dynamic, the relationship with the catcher. Because if you used an earpiece, it wouldn't be coming from the catcher. The catcher couldn't speak into a microphone with the hitter standing right there. The calls would come from the bench. So in that case, the pitchers seem very opposed to it. They also don't want to wear any wearable technology. They don't want anything in their ears. They don't want anything in their gloves. And frankly, to some, and I remember Scherzer said this in the story, sign stealing, visual sign stealing with the human body and not electronics, it's been part of the game forever. It's actually kind of a fun part of the game because the teams that are smart enough to figure it out, the players that are smart enough, they gain an advantage naturally on the field. So I don't expect, even though you're absolutely right, Jason, there have been incredible technological advances in recent years. There are ways to do this. I don't expect it to happen. And it's based, my opinion, on Jason's story in which a lot of pitchers were really opposed. Tyler Glass now was the only one who said, it's time to do something else. All right, the next question is also a voicemail, but it got a little mixed up, a little technical issue. So I'm going to basically read what it was about, Ken. And it's from Casey, and he's concerned about Hank Aaron and the All-Star game and and how the tributes will go. Uh, 44 was going to be on the field for the All-Star game and Home Run Derby in Atlanta. Will it be the same in Colorado? Casey, I asked Major League Baseball this very question and was told they're not so sure about the number being etched onto the field. But the quote from the person I spoke to was, there will be plenty of Hank Aaron at the All-Star game. And that is what you would expect. Yes, the game is not in Atlanta, where of course, Hank made his greatest achievement, the 715th home run, and of course had an amazing run with the Atlanta Braves after the Milwaukee Braves. But even though the game will now be in Colorado, It stands to reason that having just lost Hank, one of our all-time great players and one of the all-time great American citizens, baseball would honor him and honor him in much the same way that it would have honored him in Atlanta. So we are going to see, as I said, plenty of Hank Aaron at the All-Star game, whether it involves his number etched onto the field, that I don't know that has been decided yet, but... Of course, baseball will honor him as they would honor any player of similar circumstance at any All-Star game, no matter where it was. Would it have carried greater resonance, the celebration of Hank Aaron in Atlanta? Of course, there's no question about that. But they are still going to do various things to make sure that Aaron is honored and celebrated, which is, of course, as it should be. All right, so last week when we were recording the show, Ken, uh, Madison Bumgarner was in the middle of throwing a seven-inning non-no-hitter, I guess is what we'll call it at this point. There's plenty of names. In (laughs) fact, if you check out Starkville last week, the Tuesday edition of the Athletic (laughs) Baseball Show, uh, Jason and Doug share with you all the possible names that this thing could have. Uh, But that said, um, there's plenty of questions that came through voicemail and email um, about that and other stuff. Let's start with the voicemail. This one's from Corby. Hi, Ken and Tim. This is Corby in Montana. Wanted to call and ask you guys, Give some insights on if Major League Baseball thought about the implications of a seven-inning no-hitter. And do we need to change the rule that was changed in 1991 to explicitly state something like a no-hitter 
it qualifies if we're going to have seven innings as a required doubleheader game. I'm a huge Diamondbacks fan, and for me, it was a no-hitter. But it would be nice to see Major League Baseball make the rule consistent with what reality really was. I like the way you put that, Corby. You're right. There was a committee in 1991 formed, an eight-man committee on statistical accuracy, formed by former Commissioner Faye Vincent. And at the time, there had been some no-hitters that were games that took place in the rain and then, of course, were shortened to five and six innings. Melito Perez pitched one. Pascual Perez pitched another, and they just decided it's got to be nine innings to be an actual no-hitter. So under those circumstances, you could understand it. Now, did they contemplate what a seven-inning no-hitter might be and the issue that might arise? I imagine they contemplated it. Maybe they didn't contemplate it all that much because they had the pandemic and a lot of other things to worry about. But the way I see it, it is what they're calling a notable achievement, but it's not a no-hitter in the classic sense. Pitching a no-hitter requires 27 outs. 21 outs is not 27. So from that perspective, I can see where you wouldn't want to call it a no-hitter. Now, there have been several points raised by Jason, among others, that, hey, you're calling it a one-hitter. If a guy pitches a one-hitter in a seven-inning game, why don't you call it a no-hitter? These are all fair questions. But to me, the answer is obvious. It's a seven-inning no-hitter. It's a notable achievement. It's great. But that's all it is. It's not the same as what Carlos Rodon did this season. It's not the same as what Joe Musgrove did this season. It's two innings shorter. And it may end up being called a bum garner. Who knows? Uh, as we go forward right. from here. That's right. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra-soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB Show. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, so there's the no-hitter in seven innings, but then there's the other question, Ken, that came up last week on the show, which is the perfect game that could go 
10 innings. And, and we had a whole bunch of emails about the possibilities with the runner on second, the ghost runner and all of that. So I'm going to, these are, it was Billy Martin, Jeff Dawson, Scott Stone. Thank you all for your questions. This was the gist of it to riff on last week's question about the perfect game. What if a pitcher throws a nine inning, perfect game? His team is also shut out. He comes out for the 10th inning, gets a fly ball to the outfield for out number one that advances the runner to third, a fly ball to the outfield that scores the runner on a sack fly, and then he gets the third batter out on a ground ball to shortstop. Is that still a perfect game? Does it matter if his team comes back to win or if they lose? Does the pitcher get charged an earned run? Thanks for settling my curiosity is the way that they put it. This is certainly something that has crossed a lot of people's minds, and If you think about it, let's start with the way those extra inning automatic runners are scored against the pitcher. They do not count as earned runs, right? So if you give up the game-winning run, pitching the 10th inning with the runner starting on second, it's not an earned run charge to you. So let's keep that in mind. I asked Major League Baseball about this particular issue, and they said that the Elias Sports Bureau, their official statistician, got back to them with this answer. We decided, Elias that the definition of a perfect game is that a pitcher retires every batter he faces in a complete game of nine or more innings. So, with that being said, we, Elias, would consider this a perfect game since no batter reached base. So, if you're a fan listening, and if you're one of those guys who asked these questions, you might say, oh, really? So you could throw a perfect game and lose? That's not so perfect. I agree. It's an imperfect answer, but it's the answer. And actually, in my view, does make sense because, my goodness, if you're a pitcher and you retire every batter you face and the game ends, well, that's a perfect game. You've done a perfect job. But I go back to Harvey Haddix. Remember this? Many, many, many moons ago. Pitches a 12-inning perfect game and no-hitter. Loses the no-hitter and the game in the 13th inning. That's not a perfect game because he didn't complete it. So it was actually held against him that he kept pitching. And the game, of course, didn't end. They didn't have the automatic runner back when Harvey was crafting his masterpiece. And that's the way it was then. But to answer the question, yes, that would be a perfect game, even if you lose one nothing without giving up a hit, without giving up technically an earned run. All right. We've gotten to the bottom of it. Good stuff. And good questions from everybody out there. Thank you so much. If you do want to get involved next week, like I said earlier, call the hotline 646-543-7072. The email is tabaseballshow at gmail.com. And Ken, this week, you said it not traveling yet, but covering the NL East again, right? Yes. Phillies Braves on FS1 this Saturday. And Tim, you're right. After this week, I am going to start traveling my first game on the road will be in San Diego. Cardinals Padres, that should be a good one. But before that, yes, Phillies Braves and I'm looking forward to that. Harper and Real Muto are coming back or came back on Sunday night. So that's good news for the Phillies. They had a bunch of injury issues and scares as well this week. And the Braves, they've got their own issues, but I expect like the Dodgers, like the Mets, to some degree they're going to straighten out. Well, if you're going to get back to traveling, I think San Diego seems like a good first spot, Ken. Not bad. Not bad at all. (laughs) All right. If you want to read more of Ken's great work, of course, and all the other writers for baseball, NFL, all the draft stuff this week around the NFL, NHL, and NBA playoffs are coming up. You can subscribe to The Athletic for just $3.99 per month right now. Go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. 
That's $3.99 a month. And stay with the Athletic Baseball Show all week long. We talked about the Royals coming up tomorrow in Starkville. Jason and Doug are going to be joined by Rex Hudler, broadcaster for the Royals. That is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, And then later in the week, Thursday, it's Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby, Keith Law and Derek Van Riper on Friday. For Ken Rosenthal, I'm Tim McMaster. Have a great week, everyone. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.